lateral uh, violence with, with nursing uh, uh, slash bullying, um, whatever you want to call it, how does this affect the bottom line? This episode of Friends of Flow is brought to you by NCLEX Mastery. If you're a nursing student and you're about to take your NCLEX, you need to go to the App Store right now and download NCLEX Mastery. It costs about $100,000 to replace a registered nurse, a bedside registered nurse. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. A study was done in one of the big Midwestern universities that found that 32 registered nurses were ready to flee in the next two weeks. So hospitals should have their finger on the pulse of this kind of behavior. But the other thing that happens is when you think about being belittled, um, gossiped about, disrespected, yelled at, have things thrown at you, not having, not, not feeling safe to ask questions. Who suffers besides you? Mm-hmm. The patient. The patient, right. Patient safety bottoms. Medication errors. One of the biggest things that happens as a result of lateral violence in nursing or a lot of it is physician-driven, physicians are nurses, is you phone a physician to get clarification of an order. And what happens? You get yelled at. Or they belittle you. I, that has happened to me as a bedside nurse more times than I could care to count. I would imagine that's happened to... Everybody. Uh, the majority of the nurses and, that are out and, there. And... Um, And I learned to talk back. I learned to say, this is a wrong order. I will not do it. If you want it done, you come and do it. That is a skill that that is picked up with time. Do you guys agree with that? No, it's something that that you should be learning. Rachel talked in our earlier cast about um, this being taught in nursing school. You have to learn to be assertive. You have to learn to know what to say. So when somebody belittles you and humiliates you, you, can, you have to respond by saying, what is at stake here is not me, it's the patient. If you humiliate me, I am not going to be asking you questions and the patient is going to suffer. Let's talk about the patient. Let's keep this about the patient. And something I was told when I first started was the appropriate way to quote-unquote cuss. So first show concern, ask for a a clearer picture to help them uh, help you build a better understanding. Right. And then bring it up as a safety issue. Right. And if they're not understanding you, you so that's an acronym then, or or a mnemonic for, and the C is for what? Concern. Concern. I'm concerned. And then you as understanding, help me understand your perspective or. Right. Or help me understand the order. Why did you order it that way? This can be nurse, doctor, kind of goes across all multidisciplinary. And then S is a safety issue. Yes. Can you show me how you use that in an example? Can you think of one off the top of your head? Uh, I guess, say a patient is uh, acting out violently, like maybe in the day room they're throwing things. I might say, and say I need an order for Haldol or another calming agent for my patient. I might say, hi, you know, I have a question about X patient. 
I'm really concerned about their safety. They're out, they're out here throwing things. Yeah, I would like an order for Haldol. Does that make sense to you? If if not, is there something else you you know? Is there an alternative approach? That's kind of the understanding part. I think you can move those letters around if you need to, depending on the severity of the situation and how much you want to be heard. Interesting. That's a really good one. Cuss, because I love to cuss. <laughs> I do. I'm going to remember yeah. that one. I do. Yeah. We love to crack a little. I know. When it's my military gym, background. I <laughs> so, and, then, and in the gym. And in the gym. It's yeah, a, you that's know, a safe place. It is a safe spot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. We pump some iron, don't we, Becky? Yeah. That's how we came up with this idea that we needed to be... Oh, we, were, we, ha- yeah. we did. We did a lot of. Com- we have a one to one ratio at least. Sometimes a two to one workout to ex- exercise to talking to exercise ratio. So it's usually a one to one, but sometimes we stay later and we have a two to one talking ratio of exercise to. Got to exercise that jaw, exercise. though. I mean, well, you do. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you do, Rachel? How do you look after yourself? Like take care of myself pers- personally. Yeah. What, what do you do for fun? I like to go hiking. I like to definitely spend time with my family, travel. I think you're getting married soon. I am. Are you? Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. In September. So that's been keeping me busy. And I bought a house a month ago. So I'm busy. Oh, my gosh. Great. Lots of good. You have a lot of new things going on in your life. Yes. New job. Yes. New new marriage. New house. New house. That doesn't sound very stressful, though. I mean... Uh, oh, no, not ever. Oh, man. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, well, sort of, we can move into this so discussion Cassie, what's going on what currently. Did, yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, well, we're getting a lot of, you know, the Comey hearings were last week. Yeah. I mean, we do like politics, and I think, and we all think that nursing being involved in politics is important. It depends on how much of a junkie you want to be. But if you paid attention to politics, it's really distracting right now because. Of the Comey Comey hearings and what's going on with that investigation. And then, of course, we have the horrible um, shooting that happened yesterday in Virginia. But what's going on, if you're listening to healthcare or thinking about healthcare, is what's going on with the repeal or or replacement of the Affordable Care Act. Or Obamacare. Or Obamacare, depending on how you want to call it. Um, That is really, really concerning me. Um, I'm Canadian. I'm American, Canadian-American. A canoodlian. A canoodlian. Yeah. <laughs> Keep and your stick on the ice. <laughs> Keep your stick on the ice. Watch the puck. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I find this whole discourse about terribly frightening. We were talking earlier before we went online here about the possibility of Medicaid being stopped in the next... Seven years. Seven years. Five, seven years. And I don't know whether that's rumor or we don't know anything because the Senate is not holding any hearings and they could pass this. It could go right back to the House. I mean, I can feel my blood pressure getting up already. And um, so there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. So, you know, they they put forth the ACRA. Yeah, I think it's the American Health Care Act. I think is what it stands for. And so the House Republicans put that together, and um, it passed. And then I believe it passed. And then it went over to the, the Senate. Senate. And the Senate's not, it's not palatable to everybody. And, of course, they have to get 
more of a majority in the Senate, which is challenging with some of the moderates. So right now it's in a what I think is a behind-closed-door session Mm -hmm. with about 13 senators. 13 white guys. Yeah, there may be a woman in there, too. (laughs) No, did did they bring in Diane Feinstein? No, I don't know. But they're hashing it out, and, and I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I do know that they want to stop the federal funding for Medicaid, and that was a... And a lot of what's going on right now, I think, is the timing. And the people that are listening don't, you know, the details of it are interesting to me. But what I hear is the concern about um, funding for Medicaid that we get from the federal government, Medicaid being a state program, and then, but we get federal dollars and ending federal dollars. And we can have broader discussions on, you know, politics and how you feel about funding for health care and all of that sort of thing. But, and that's a different discussion. But, if you feel like it's moving too fast or you're not in supportive of it, then there's some folks and places to go to for to talk about, um, especially states that have senators that are kind of uh, moderate and thinking about that. I think Alaska's one and Arizona, but really we should uh, make sure that we have a um, the really... contact information. But And then it gets to the broader issue of being politically involved mm-hmm. And then the right is healthcare right, and and last but not least, which I think is really interesting, is all of this stuff is changing. It's not like we're getting more money to take care of people. Period. The pot is never going to get bigger. We're never going to have more money to take care of patients. And this is where nursing leadership needs to take place. I mean, who's going to? This is where and preventive health and all of those sorts of things. I think in the midst of this kind of sad chaos is opportunity for nursing to say here's what nursing does with the sickest and most vulnerable people and we can nursing have some can, solutions. I, I remember um, when I did my education at Simmons College in Boston, a shout out to Simmons College. Uh-huh. Um, we as nurse practitioners we were taught that we were there to care for the most vulnerable. And people, people who were choosing between groceries or a tank of gas or should they go and see us because of a cough that they've had. They can't afford a chest x-ray. And, unless I can, and, and they could never afford a CT scan or an MRI. So we were taught basic physical exam, but... But really, nurse practitioners and nurses in the hospital, nurses in the community, community health nurses are so important. People that are out there doing home visits, who are walking the streets, who are going to inner city, inner inner town, rural communities where people are so isolated and have absolutely no, no ability to get health care. And that's where rural... Healthcare nurses, community nurses, can really step up. And I think that's the scary part. If if there are programs that are currently on the dock to be cut from a federal healthcare standpoint, those marginalized populations will will, will suffer. Um, and then, and a broader a, a, a broader picture is institutions will suffer. Hospitals, uh, not to mention large practices who get their uh, uh, funding from uh, different parts of Medicare or Medicaid 
um, will will suffer. So it, you're, and then to Tessa's point of uh, our population of people, especially with the aging baby boomer population, that's not going to get any smaller. So you have a constricting. The economics just don't don't fit this the the, the, the puzzle very well, and I, I'm not saying I have the right answers, but just as some talking points, we have dollars that are shrinking to take care of a population of people that is growing, and then we have frustrated providers that are oftentimes leaving the profession because of the politics, and it's it's trickling down into not just from the federal level but. Into the, into the very local uh, levels. And when you think about the, the people that Medicaid take care of, they're your um, disabled folks, right? Yes, exactly. um, mentally and physically disabled. And um, that's, a, I think, that's Medicaid was started. I, before we you know, jump in again, I want to, it's a, actually, there's one woman. I just looked it up, Rebecca. There's one woman on the on the oh, thing. Who, I don't know who, who it is. is. I can't tell you who it is, okay. but there's one woman. And if uh, and nobody's saying that that the Affordable Care Act is perfect here. That's not right. the issue. That's not yeah, that's it not isn't. The issue. It's right. the it's that it's being rammed through, and without open dialogue from all parties who are influenced to change this and, and hurting the most vulnerable. There's no question. And when and we're not, we don't have that, that score that comes out from the CBO, the congressional budget office that says how many millions of people are going to lose their insurance. This, and the, the timing's interesting on it too, because if you follow politics, they want to get this voted out of the Senate before the 4th of July recess. So that um, if it's not out of the Senate by then, then the senators will have to go back to their home districts and then they'll hear a earful on things. So there's some political maneuvering to get it out. But if you're really interested in you, and this is something that calls to you, then please go to like moveon.org or indivisible. um, I think it's indivisible.com. Call your senator's office. Let them know. I think that it's a, it's a, um, so, like I said, you can have your opinions on health care and such. It should be an open, deliberate debate and and so and and get, advocating for vulnerable i get my concern is that these incredibly powerful lobby groups like the pharmacy um, phar- pharmacology the big drug pharma. Mm-hmm. big pharma has such a stake in this, and i'm not denying uh corporate America their share but they need to uh, be limited in profits, and all of that pro- profit needs to be turned into research that is not going into the pockets of um, shareholders. Mm. That that I know I'm sounding like a left-leaning liberal, which I mostly am not, but you have to look at these. Who is costing the money? Um, oh, it's all about following the money, isn't it's, it? It's all about And that's, I think, why nurses are a very respected profession because that's not seldom been our agenda. Do you know? I mean, that is not our agenda is to follow the money um, for care. And, and I mean, we all want to get paid what we're worth and in the system. And um, But I, I don't know. That's one reason why I think we're a respected profession. So back talking about how all of this stuff affects us at the bedside or taking care of patients. 
And especially, you know, my practice is in a rural setting and then, or we see people from all over you, Rachel, at the university that go off to places where, you know, they're very vulnerable patients. And you realize that, that sometimes the only safety net they have is the Medicaid um, insurance that they have. And so. Well, I think about the um, care of the mentally ill in our state that it's been taken away from the government, sold it to managed care organizations who have really contracted and and diminished the amount of services available and are not paying, they're withholding payment to providers. And, And you think about the number of mentally, acutely mentally ill people that end up in the ER with nowhere to go. And then the sheriffs are, are driving them hours away to the first available bed, away from family, away from support, away from their community, because that's the only place where they can get care. Right. We see that all the time. We transport patients up to, you know, five hours away per ambulance, per sheriff, per right. whatever's available to take them to these facilities. And the hospital can you just imagine, eats that money. Can you imagine... Being that person put into an ambulance and not knowing where you're going and you can't follow and you can't think and you're so acutely ill and no one is around that knows you. This is what's frustrating how nurses, we think that we're powerless in the situation mm-hmm. and um, then getting advanced degrees. So this is, and we talk about, I don't even want to know if we should segue into people leaving to be direct care providers as nurse practitioners. I just want to go back one step. Okay. To ethics. Okay, and you bring code, it up. Code Go of girl. ethics. Mm-hmm. In the seventh and eighth provisions, it calls for us to be politically active. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what your politics are. It's not saying, are you voting one way or are you voting another way? It's not even saying, are you voting? But we have a moral obligation to be involved in our professional organizations and a moral obligation to be involved in our communities. And I think that role is especially important because we as nurses know that most of our patients that we care for aren't able to do that themselves. And I think that's just even a bigger call to action for nurses. When I trained as a nurse practitioner in the last century, no Mm -hmm. laughing, you guys. Oh, Tessie. I was there too, Becky. Okay, all right. So um, we were taught that we... We were there to care for people who had nobody else to provide care for. So we were there to care for the most vulnerable people. And I remember our front, we did case-based learning, and I remember the, the scenario that stuck with me the most was that a woman came in to see you um, with a cough, and she had three or four kids, no money, no money. And she had this cough... How are you? And the nearest, nearest clinic is with a radiology, with x ray ability, is 55 miles away. What are you going to do? How are you going to help her set her priorities? She has no food in the house, you learn. She's got a cough. She's got three or four very hungry kids at a gas tank that's mostly empty. This is real life. Well, and this is what I say when I, when I we talk about nursing too. Right. I say this is, there's no end to the problems that nurses take care of. I, I mean, know, but what I'm also saying is that we were taught to use a stethoscope. For sure. 
we didn't rely on an MRI, a CT scan, mm-hmm. a chest X-ray. So when I became, we moved here to Iowa, and I was a nurse practitioner in a big hospital. Um, I diagnosed somebody using with egophony and bronchophony. I discovered a left lower lobe pneumonia. Mm-hmm. I was so excited. And you know what the response was? Go get a CT scan. Why are you doing that? And I thought, this is why healthcare costs so damn much money, right. is that nobody's using their brain. It needs to be empirically proven it by needs, some... Right. And so somebody would say, oh, well, if you don't diagnose it right, you know, you're up for a legal liability. But do you know how much a radiologist gets paid for reading an x-ray that you've already diagnosed? That's a great... Uh, uh, yeah, probably, <laughs> like you've already probably, diagnosed with the... And yeah. it's a community acquired pneumonia in an otherwise healthy person. So then Hello? let's talk about the ethics of this situation. Right. So, so, so if someone comes in to my clinic, for instance, I, I, I might be inclined uh, in this situation where she has a cough, she has four children, she can't afford care. Why not go to your sample closet? Exactly. And, and maybe, maybe, you know, if, if uh, she's showing signs and symptoms of pneumonia, you get out your seven-day uh, Z-pack, give it to her as... As uh, ten day, whatever it may be, <laughs> and and then your your, your Tesla on pearls, maybe maybe you have some 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 of those to to decrease her symptoms, make her feel more comfortable. I would have no qualms about about doing that. Uh, in, in my current clinical setup, uh, I see a, a lot of marginalized older folks that live in nursing homes. Some who uh, are on uh, Medicare or some form of welfare program, and they can't afford uh, a lot of their care. Some are DNR. Some don't want uh, additional medical intervention, including uh, going into the hospital or, or another institution for chest x-rays and CT scans. Does that mean that, that we don't treat them? Like, absolutely not. I mean, we, we, we still have an obligation to make them feel comfortable. And, and, and this kind of a situation, your situation of having that, that patient, I can, I can relate in that we could we can still treat these these people and, and be financially uh, prudent and responsible with our approach. So then I think it's a managing your own self too. Like this is still good care. Yes. And even though the system says, "Oh my gosh, why didn't you get this why X-ray? Get why didn't X-ray? you go yeah. for the MR or whatever? And or why didn't you provide the you know." most expensive antibiotic when maybe doxycycline will be just perfectly fine and has been for decades. So dealing with this like good enough or in, in that good enough is actually very appropriate given everything you have to take into account. Yeah, exactly. So. Agreed. I think about nurses in the hospital and knowing when it's safe to discharge a patient, knowing where they're going to go when they're discharged and who's going to be looking after them. And that's all part of really great nursing care is knowing your patient and being able to stand up and say to the physician team, to the insurance company, that this is the kind of care that's needed for this patient and they're not going to get it where they're going. Mm. Um, right. I, I think it, it it's responsible care and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier on... Um, how much healthcare costs, and I don't think nurses are being used. Absolutely, this and this is the point too: is that in in the midst when you were talking about your story, Andy, about that patient, 
to me, I was like, that is so freaking cool. You, yeah, it's, cool. It's, it's exciting to be faced with a challenge that makes you use your brain and that says, great, we don't have these reasons. like being on a desert island and you get like a thing of rope and a plastic <laughs> bag, you know? And a so gum how wrapper. can you make a great patient-oriented solution that is going to matter to them and that you know is solid and exactly. evident and just going to move the problem forward? But it, you know, that's why nursing scope of practice is so broad. You know, there's no, you know, we you're going to treat the right and do the right antibiotics, but all of the other things that you take into consideration are so broad. I want to be sure that we are not. Glamorizing being a nurse practitioner or a certified registered nurse anesthetist, that we are also going to talk about how important bedside nursing is and frontline nursing is. And that's where we need a lot of really, really smart people. Um, those are the nurses that are going to be leading the change and being the change. And being bedside. creative and too, being creative. being creative about the solutions because it's this is a great time for nursing leadership, creativity, and right. smarts. Yep. And that's what the healthcare system needs because right. currently it is broken and there's but cracks, Big opportunity. Cracks. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So we have to end. Keep your eye on the patient. Be the change. Be kind to one another. I'll watch you if you watch me. Friends of Flow is brought to you by NCLEX Mastery. Go to the App Store right now, download NCLEX Mastery. And before you leave, if you could just share this with your nursing friends, tell them about us, leave us feedback, go to our Facebook page, tell us what you liked, tell us what you didn't love so much, be nice. But thank you so much. We really appreciate you.